Ministry Mentorship, Episode 38. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young ministers for the purpose of helping them develop in their ministry. We were recently able to attend an evening and a morning conference in Raleigh, North Carolina. A host pastor was Wayne Huntley, and he started this conference for ministers to receive instruction and training by apostolic leaders. And it was just a great time to connect with new people. I want to specifically thank Pastor Norman Pasley from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, and Pastor Michael Chuppie from Bismarck, North Dakota, for sponsoring our promotional pieces that we used during the event. Uh, This was so helpful, and I appreciate their support. I would also like to thank uh, Young Pastor and H2 Overcome for rating our podcast on iTunes. This is very helpful because it increases our visibility in iTunes. And let me just say that if you have a question or a comment, a testimony about how ministry mentorship has blessed you, uh, you can send an email to jacob at ministrymentorship.com. And we've already heard from from several of you uh, that have just been telling us uh, what ministry mentorship has meant to you, and we so appreciate that. In this interview, we're going to be speaking with one of the finest ministers in Pentecost. Tom Fred Tenney is a veteran of the apostolic faith and has a desire to spread the apostolic message across the world. I know that you're going to be blessed and challenged as you hear his insight into ministry and our walk with God. Let's join the conversation now. We're here today with Brother Tom Fred Tenney, and he uh, has served for many years in, uh, in the United Pentecostal Church. He's been a district superintendent, uh, pastor, and evangelist, and just a tremendous minister of the gospel. He's uh, ministered for over 60 years, and we're just thankful to, to be able to sit down and talk with him. Brother Tenney, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jacob. I am delighted to be here share with you not so much what I know, but whom I know, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, tell us a little bit about your ministry. Well, I was uh, saved in my mid-teens. I'd been uh, born and reared a, a Southern Baptist. My mother was a Baptist Bible teacher. And one night, um, more or less on a lark, uh, a number of us fellows piled into my uh, 1947 Hudson automobile went across the track to a Pentecostal church. Uh, there was a converted nun named Sister Charlotte that was uh, telling her story. She had been in the Carmelite nunnery, and we heard she was really spilling the beans on some things. And we had been uh, uh, shooting pool in the local, local pool hall, and some of them in the back playing moon dominoes. So we piled in, went over, just on a lark, sat down the back of the church, and uh, the sister gave a very interesting story and got just to the good juicy part, and she'd cut it off and say, come back tomorrow night. <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, uh, Sister Nyla, it was Rutledge then, and she later married John Mean, they pioneered works in Nova Scotia, but she preached. She preached about 20 minutes. My particular religious persuasion didn't believe in women preachers. 
but she was a fireball. And I didn't know anything about Pentecost. All I'd heard was that they were holy rollers, and it was a church on the other side of the uh, tracks, and that they were religious quacks. And that's all I knew, unfortunately. But uh, I was curious, so two or three of us fellas piled in the next night and went back to see what the old gal was going to say. And again, she got to the very juicy part and said, come back tomorrow night. Well, I was hooked on that story because I've always been curious. So uh, that night I went home, went to bed, and I had an encounter with God about 4 o'clock in the morning. I was awakened, and uh, it felt like there was a slab of lead uh, across my entire body. I could not move. Literally, I couldn't move. And I thought something tragic had happened to me, and I was preparing to die. All of a sudden, I prayed because my mother had taught me to pray. And I I said, Lord, if, if this is you and this has anything to do with that Pentecostal church and that altar they got down there, I said, you let this leave me now. Instantly, it left. I said, oh, there's something going on here. Well, all the next day, I wrestled with what I was going to do, but I'd made that commitment. And I went back the next night, and all I can tell you is something hit me. And uh, I found my way in an old-fashioned Pentecostal altar. I didn't know what was going on, literally. Now, you've heard this as a story, but literally. There was an uh, an old brother behind me, and he'd say, Hold on, son, hold on. <laughs> yeah. And there was one in front of me that was saying, Let go, boy, let go. And, and I, I, all I was trying to do was get through to God and, <laughs> And these people were hollering all around me and jumping and screaming. And uh, I didn't know what I'd fallen into. But I'd made this covenant with God and I'd had this encounter. So that's how it began. The rest is history. Now tell us a little bit about your ministry background and how you first got started in ministry. Well, it's very strange, but when I was a little boy, I, uh, yeah, we'd play church sometime and I was always the preacher. Hmm. Or uh, somebody won't get married, and we was playing, and I was always preachers going to marry them. And I would get up on a stump. I was raised on a 600-acre dairy farm, and uh, I'd preach to the cows, you know, just as a fun thing. I later learned uh, my mother had uh, lost a child in a premature birth, and she asked God to give her a son and said if uh, he would give her a son that she would dedicate him to the Lord. And uh, I knew nothing about that till later. Uh, well, I went through high school and graduated and uh, started preaching. And I went to Bible school, and it's, it's a long story. There's, uh, there's one thing that that I've heard you say, or maybe it was your wife that had said it, that talked about how when you, you first were starting in ministry that you would take uh, a chapter of the Bible and you would really study that. Is that true? Uh, yes. Uh, I made a vow to the Lord that I would study three chapters of the Bible before I, I slept at night. I had a very limited library. My mother brought me a... Uh, uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, one-volume commentary. 
and I had a concordance and a Bible dictionary. That's and my Bible. That was it. Well, I would sit up at night, and anything else I had to read, uh, I would read the scriptures, and then find everything I could in the commentaries and other places and cross-references uh, on that particular passage. And it took uh, sometimes. Uh, the night I got to the 119th Psalm, I was up to <laughs> 4 o'clock in the morning. But I kept my vow to the Lord. <laughs> so, uh, and I gave myself to prayer. I was very fortunate in having a wonderful pastor who was a, uh, not only a man of God, but a man of prayer. He taught mm -hmm. us how to pray. And uh, I, I had a, a very deep prayer life. Uh, and I had a hunger for God. And whatever I wanted to do in life, I wanted to do it with all my heart. My father was a businessman, and he told me, yeah, I thought I was going to become a lawyer, and he told me, he said, if you want to do that, I'll send you to Harvard University. Uh, but I, I should have been anything but a Pentecostal preacher, mm. really. It's just uh, the wonderful grace of, of God. But I gave myself to study, and it, then it became a habit of life to study the Word. And I've tried to carry that out throughout my life, ministry. Talk to us a little bit about some of the people that have influenced your life and, and why you feel like that some of the things and qualities that they had, what is it that stands out about them? Well, my pastor was a man named George Glass Sr. Uh, in his day, he was known as probably uh, the greatest preacher in the Pentecostal movement. He was a dynamic preacher, but he was even a better pastor than he was a preacher. He was a people lover, and he was a very prayerful man. Well, he taught me to love the Word, to love people, and to love prayer. So I owe so much to him. Uh, in, in his uh, later life, he fell into adversity. He had some terrible trials for which he was not responsible. And I saw how he went through that with such dignity and never got bitter, never blamed anybody. Though later it was shown that uh, he was a guiltless and guileless man. Uh, he just never let it bother him, went right on with his ministry, pastored some of the great churches of our fellowship in his life. So I owe him a lot. Uh, uh, old brother H.A. Goss, who our first general superintendent, he was a, a darling. He influenced me. Arthur T. Morgan, who was our second general superintendent, was one of my, one of my mentors. I was general youth president when he was general superintendent and he taught me so much about church administration he was a great ad administrator I've tried to uh, for lack of a better word I don't want to be mediocre uh, and there's a lot of things that you have to consider in that Ruskin said that only mediocracies can rise to the top in a system that won't tolerate wave makers so from time to time I guess I've been a little wave making but uh, it's always been in pursuit of the excellence of what God wanted me to do 
Talk to us a little bit about developing a long-term ministry. Now, you've been in ministry for 60-plus years. Where did that start? How, do, how does a young person develop that kind of a ministry? There's two words that I often use when I'm speaking to young preachers or candidates for the ministry, and those two words are priorities and discipline. Uh, Anybody can set priorities. You can make a list, these are my priorities. But it takes discipline to carry out those priorities. So I've tried to practice that. I set my priorities, and I've disciplined myself to do what I'm supposed to do. Uh, that, that's the best advice. You, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, he cannot just be something that you preach you must experience him before you preach him. And that's not a one-time experience. You constantly uh, engage uh, him. Uh, my prayer life has changed. When I first started preaching, uh, when I first got saved, I would pray by the hours, and that was good. Today, after all these years, I seldom pray over 30 minutes. But I never go 30 minutes without praying, mm. without engaging God somewhere, finding yeah. a place to engage God. Singing a hymn, he said, speaking to yourself and the hymns in your heart. Paul admonished us to do that. And staying in contact. He said to uh, pray without ceasing. Mm. I think that just simply means in colloquial language, stay in touch. So I just try to stay in touch with the Master throughout the day because you never know when you might need him close. So the best thing to do is keep him close. <laughs> uh, just have a good relationship. The Bible said that in the early church they gave themselves to prayer and the Word in that order. So you never get to the place that prayer can be eliminated. And you never get to the place where the Word uh Yes, I search the Scriptures for sermons, but I also graze through the Scriptures, not looking for sermons, not sermonically, but to feed my own soul. I call that grazing, and I do that every day. I take portions of the Scripture and read them. Uh, and when I get to the Psalms, I read in the Psalms every day. I will put my name in some of the places instead of the author. And I will uh, pray it as though it was me who was writing it so that it, it really speak to me and be intimate but with uh, me and the Lord. Uh, Jacob, nobody can tell you how to be intimate with God. There's some things you just have to find out for yourself, how to work out your intimacy as it is in life. Uh, so it, as it is in the spirit, you just get... Uh, to loving Jesus and knowing him, and he becomes your Savior and friend, and you walk with him. Talk to us a little bit about our our apostolic distinctives and how how do we make these things non-negotiable? Well, first of all, we're living in a world of change. Uh, it's the culture of the day. Information changes. The way we do things change. Uh, everything changes. You have to define what won't change. And you, you establish that first. There's what we call core values. 
I, I teach sometimes on core values. You have personal convictions that are between you and God, and then you may have what we could call church convictions that are taught by the church, and then you have core values. Now, my I may make some personal vows to God. I had a friend years ago, dead now, that made a vow to God that she'd never drink Cokes again as long as she lived because she loved Cokes, and she was at a crisis in life. She never imposed that on anybody else. I don't know that it was necessary, but that was a personal thing. And when you begin to impose your personal convictions on other people, you may have crossed the line because God may have asked you to do something for your sake, yeah. not for everybody else's. And then there's church convictions. There's things that the church asks us to do. And um, we do it. We do it for the good of the body. Uh, we go, do it in a spirit of, of peace. But then and these things may change from time to time. Uh, and then there's your core values that never change. Never. Uh, our apostolic doctrines, our way of life, our lifestyle, there's just certain principles that you don't touch. That's just it. Uh, and there, we in the uh, Jesus Name movement do have some distinctives. And we need to keep our identity not worship you know we're different not to be different but to make a difference amen so and that's got to be kept primary that we're not uh, we don't feel we're any better than anybody else that's self-righteousness and pharisaism but we want to please god and we want to keep our disciplines because discipline keeps you in place uh we don't uh, for instance if you uh, go to a gym you don't get uh, strength for the barbells. You get strength from them. Hmm. True. And so some things we do, they just strengthen us. It's not all the epitome of life, but they and they're uncomfortable. Uh, but nevertheless, help us. I, that, I guess that's, uh, that's my opinion. Let me say that. Are there any books or resources that you would recommend for a young person that's just getting started in ministry? Yeah, I recommend, first of all, the Bible. You need to fall in love with a book. And contrary to what a lot of people think, read different uh, good translations. They give you a little different slant. My preference, of course, is the King James uh, version. Uh, but then... Get some good reading material. As I said, as I told you when I first started, I got that big, thick Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. I got me a concordance. I got me a dictionary, Bible dictionary. And uh, then I would pick up books, two books in the early days that made a profound uh, impact on my life was uh, Leonard Ravenhill's Why Revival Terries and Alan Redpath's The Making of a Man of God. And then through the years, I have uh, been a vociferous reader. At one time, I took 40 periodicals a month. I, I don't do, do it now. I have trimmed back some due to my age, and I'm constantly reading books. Uh, uh, not mostly 
religious books, about 90%, but I just read O'Reilly's uh, The Killing of Kennedy, The Killing of Lincoln, The Killing of Christ, and found them very interesting, especially The Killing of Christ. I found things in there about uh, the Roman Empire that I'd never read before. So uh, be a reader and be a listener. God gave us two ears and one tongue, and you figure out why. <laughs> what advice uh, would you give to a young minister that feels a call to ministry? Do your best to get out of it. Because if you can get out of it, you weren't called. There will be in you a light that won't go out in a voice that won't die. And know that light and that voice. And if it keeps after you. And some people have criticized me for saying that, but when Elijah met Elisha, he just walked over and laid the mantle on him for a minute, never said a word. Walked off and Elisha came running. He said, wait a minute, I'm going with you. Elijah said, what did I say to you? Hmm. You know, that I, that's almost insulting. Well, I guess he was thought if you can be turned back, now's the time for you to turn back. Because for the next 10 years, you're going to be washing my hands, listening to me. But uh, Elisha couldn't be discouraged. He, he, he felt that mantle and he wanted it. Uh, and if... If you, if you feel that you are called of God and you know that you are called of God, then pursue it with all diligence. Now, you let God call you and not somebody that will say, I, I think you'd make a good preacher. Mm. You know, you, I, I've seen mistakes made that uh, somebody give a good testimony and some good sister or brother would come up and say, you know, Brother, I think the Lord showed me that you're called in the ministry. Maybe so, maybe not, because uh, I buy the kings and priests theory uh, that God called kings, God called priests, uh, and kings provided uh, the financing for the priests to carry out their responsibility. Some men that God calls into the business world to help finance the burden and vision of the priest. So just make sure that you're called of God. And strange circumstances can drive us to the Lord, too, I, and to his perfect will, you know. I'm sure the three Hebrew children and Daniel, when they were being dragged 500 miles across that desert from their home, couldn't see God in it. But after we read the book of Daniel, you see it. And whenever you see Joseph in a pit in a caravan and lied on and thrown in prison, where is God? But he himself said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. So just follow and don't judge your whole life by one occurrence. Talk to that young person right now that's saying, you know, Brother Tenney, I'm, I'm, I'd like to make some changes. I feel like uh, I want to, you know, grow, I want to develop, and maybe even see some things happen in my local church. Maybe I want to be a part of revival, and I want to make a difference. And sometimes I feel like I'm maybe feel hindered or feel like 
you know, it's moving too slow. What, what would you tell that young person? Well, number one, you don't ever get impatient with the pace of God. It, uh, you just wait. The Bible said wait on the Lord. And then whatever you do, you consult with your pastor. Tell him your burden. Stay submitted to him. Listen to his guidance. Maybe you don't agree. Maybe you are in too big a hurry. But he knows that there's got to be a gestation time for your minister, or, or instead of a birth, it'll be an abortion. So you, you've got to pace yourself. And if you can't submit to your pastor, you're going to have trouble submitting to God. And that's all part of the training. The things will happen sometimes just to test your submission. Um, give yourself to prayer. Get a good prayer life and a study of the Word and be a witness if you're in school, wherever you are. Uh, I don't mean to be intrusive in people, but he said, let your light shine. Light doesn't make any noise, but it leads a lot of people. And just by your living example, rather than your caustic accusations or judgmentalism, uh, you can win people. The conversation of your heart can win people as they watch you uh, under pressure and maybe even on cross. The cross was not for Jesus. It was for us. And sometimes God will put you on a cross not because of something you've done, but for others so that they can see the redemption of God and the patience of God in your life. Get you a good camaraderie of friends that have the same burden and philosophy that you do. Surround yourself with good friends. Uh, in any church, there's usually a, a more spiritual and maybe a little more carnal crowd. Now, that may not fit your doctrine, but it'll fit your experience. <laughs> and you identify and lead, be a leader in spiritual things. Not judgmentally with a... A holy awe, self-righteousness, and Phariseeism. That won't do. But humbly walk with him and let people see Christ in your life. Now, a closed door can be as much in the will of God as an open door. But we don't praise him for closed doors. So if, if God's in charge, there'll be some doors that'll close and some that'll open. Just be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And in God's time and in God's way, he'll show you his purpose and his will for your life. Well, I wonder in closing, Brother Tinney, if you would just say a prayer over that young person right now that, uh, that feels that pull into ministry, feels like God's talking to them and, and they're making some decisions. They're, they're uh, seeking the Lord for his will and direction in their life. I wonder if you just say a prayer over them right now. Father, you've told us to make our calling and election sure. And if you are speaking and calling to some young person that's listening to this, let them make it sure. Let them settle it in their own heart that they've had an encounter with God and that they will go wherever he leads and help them not to become uncomfortable with the pace of God, but to patiently follow you. Holy Spirit, guide them. May the angels of the Lord be assigned to surround them. Open every door that should be opened. Close every door that should be closed. 
Let them go in the name and the power of the resurrected Christ, knowing that you never fail. Draw them close to you and help them to respond so that you might whisper to them, for you seldom yell at us, Lord, but it's that still, small voice. Lord, we cannot lead your people if we cannot hear your voice and help them to learn at a very young age to listen to the voice of God. May they be blessed in the name of our Redeemer, even Jesus, the Son of the living God. Amen. You've been listening to a Ministry Mentorship Podcast with Jacob Tapia. Find out more about this resource by going to ministrymentorship.com where you'll find more interviews and other resources to help you develop in your ministry. Thanks for listening and God bless.